Amazing to think how long ago that was. Uh, every year it gets further away. Can you believe that? Um, it's funny, I was making fun of us for being all on one side of the auditorium this morning, and today I'm preaching on being unseparated. Um, so, good job, this side of the church. Um, Acts 15, Acts 15 is where we'll be today. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to look throughout the history and scripture and this time frame of when this is written. The early church, we see a lot of conflict between Christians, uh, specifically between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, of course, the Old Testament is, is, um, uh, is, is so focused on, on the Jews, and we see in the New Testament and Christ in His life uh, open that ministry up to the Gentiles and, and, uh, and through Acts is, and, and Romans, but uh, we see this teaching of now Christians more so than Jews. And, uh, and, and the, the gospel being shared with the Gentiles and uh, the ministry growing within that. Many Jews were still holding to those old traditions. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, we have that uh, pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection forms of worship. The sacrifices and the feasts and the different things um, like that. But of course, Christ's coming, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection changed the way worship happened. And the reality is... Uh, here, well, they felt, the Jews felt like the Gentiles needed to act Jewish. And what Christ began to teach and what after Christ's resurrection and ascension, um, the, the, the Bible was teaching and the preachers were teaching is, is it's not about acting Jewish, it's about being Christ-like. Uh, it's about doing what Christ did and what Christ desires for you to do. And the reality was there was a revitalization of the way that worship was now uh, uh, intended because of what Christ had done. And with that comes change. And with change, uh, if you've been uh, around church at all growing up, anytime there's change, there's conflict. Um, people don't like change. And if you grew up like me, I grew up in a very conservative home, a very conservative ministry, uh, very conservative churches. And anytime change happened, there were people who would just panic. It's like, oh my goodness, wait a second. We've been doing it this way for 40 years, and we can't do that. And, uh, and there was very little um, thought as opposed to just fear. Uh, very little understanding as opposed to just fear. The assumption, and to be honest, some preachers preached it this way, where we're not allowed to change. We've got to do it this way and this way only, and if we do it any other way, then it's wrong. And, and what happened is we had a generation that grew up under similar teaching, and then all of a sudden anything that was different brought great fear. And, and it wasn't always out of bad motive. It was just a misunderstanding maybe. And the same thing was true here in the early church, where all of a sudden now the Gentiles were coming into the church, and the Jews were saying, well, hold on a second. We've been doing it this way for centuries this is how we're supposed to do it. And God uh, used His uh, teachers and preachers to come in and teach an understanding to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles, they needed to understand as well, of how He intended for the church to work. And in today's churches, the fighting and the problems that occur often happen because of failure to look at truth, specifically biblical truth behind the methods that we do. I've talked about the need for biblical separation, and I am 100% for biblical separation. The Bible says, speaking of Christians to the world, that we need to come out from among them and be separate. The Bible teaches us about the importance of separating from false teachers, uh, from, from evildoers, all these sorts of things. I'm 100% for biblical separation, but I've spent a lot of time throughout this year kind of talking about that biblical separation and the need for it. And so today I kind of want us to look at uh, the idea of not getting lost in the importance of separation where we fail to actually unify, where we fail to come together. And so today I want us to look at, and I'm sorry for all you grammar people out there, but today I want us to look at the idea of how to be unseparated. 
It's another term for being unified, but we talk about unification, so I wanted to change it up a little bit this morning. So I want us to look at how to be unseparated. Look with me in Acts 15, uh, and, and today's going to be a different sermon than normal for me. We're going to jump around a little bit, uh, look at some different thoughts, uh, as opposed to just stick to one, one passage today. But Acts 15, look with me, starting in verse number 22, and this is, we're not going to spend a lot of time in this, in this passage today. But I think it's a good way for us to use it as a diving board to get into the rest of the thoughts this morning. Uh, Acts 15, starting in verse 22, the Bible says, Then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed uh, Barsabas, and Silas, chief among the brethren, chief men among the brethren. And remember, this is not the Judas that committed suicide. He's gone. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, this is the next Judas, the new Judas. Not, never mind. I'm going to. Verse 23. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Uh, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. And to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who also, uh, who shall also tell you the same thing by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. All right, so here's a number of important things in this passage, but the, the, the general gist of it is this. Some men went uh, claiming the authority uh, of, of the church. I say that, that sounds, that sounds Catholic, but the authority of the church, the authority of the, 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 those that were above them, and began to preach to Gentiles that you must act Jewish. You need to be circumcised. And they said, we did not send them with that message. So we've written you letters to tell you truth, and now we're going to send you men to speak the same thing that we put in the letters to make sure you understand it. We're going to send these men as well to come. And they said, it's there in verse 28, it's important, and this is what we're using as our diving board. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, that's God, and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Meaning there are things that are necessary for us to do, but we don't want to put on an additional burden onto you the things that are not necessary, and so we're going to send help, we're going to send the biblical truth to you to learn these things, and so this morning, I want to look at some of those things that will help us be unseparated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your work, uh, and Lord, I pray that today as we dive into it, I pray that you'd help me to present this clearly and correctly, and God, I pray that you'd help us to have an open heart to receive what you desire for us to receive today. Uh, Lord, I know that there is in this world so much conflict that, that you desire for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, not just as one local independent church, but uh, as a whole when we, when we look at brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, you desire for us to work together to accomplish the commission that you've given us. And so God, I pray that today that would be an encouragement to us, that it would help us to understand how to come together even amongst our differences. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work through your word today, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we see this conflict, I talked about it in the introduction, Jews and Gentiles struggling with this merging. Um, the, the Jews had a way of doing things. They had certain laws, as it's given to us here even in this scripture, certain laws that they abided by. And they were there for a purpose, and they were instituted for a reason. But at Christ's death and resurrection, those things now became uh, different. There was a change that took place. There were some things in the Old Testament that were no longer necessary to worship Christ. There were still the moral laws, the Ten Commandments, the, the things that were uh, still in place that were still necessary, but the sacrifices were no longer necessary. There were things of tradition and tradition, that's sometimes is a, is a dirty word. It, it's not always bad. But tradition that now was kind of usurping what God desired for the church. And the Jews were telling the Gentiles, again, you've got to be like us. 
We're the spiritual ones. Now, I've grown up in church my entire life. And I'm thankful for my pastors. I've had very good pastors. I'm thankful for the churches and the, 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 the people in those churches that invested into my life and helped me, my Awana teachers and children's church teachers and youth pastors and things like that. I'm thankful for all those people. But I, I've seen a lot of people in my life who had that mentality of you've got to be like me. I've got it right. You've got to be like me. And I'll tell you, I've never seen those people be effective in life when it comes to ministry, when it comes to uh, helping people, leading people to Christ, uh, uh, edifying the believer, those sorts of things. Those people don't do those things. You know why? Because they're stuck on themselves. And as we've always said, as the Bible tells us, it's not about us, it's about God. And if our focus is on me, and if you really think that you've got it all figured out, I'm telling you, you don't. And neither do I. But what the Bible teaches us is the importance of being Christ-like, of following Him. And, and what happened was, is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection of Christ, some Jews were got stuck in, in a rut, in this rut of tradition. The Bible, Christ preaches about it in His life uh, and warns people about vain traditions. Now, He was talking to the Pharisees and things like that, not necessarily the Jewish believers, but... That being said, it tells us that there can be vain traditions. And some people lost the idea of Jesus Christ was that sacrificial lamb for us. And now it changes the access that we have to God. It makes it broader than it even was before. And now it opens, opens it up to us. And so they got stuck on the idea that Gentiles needed to be circumcised like the Jews in order for them to be truly following God. And God through the, his messengers, said that's not true. Gentiles don't have to be Jewish. Gentiles have to be Christ-like. Gentiles have to come to the understanding, just as Jews as well, come to the understanding that they're a sinner and they deserve hell, and Jesus Christ paid the price for them so that they don't have to go to hell, and if they receive the gift of Jesus, then they can be saved. It, was, it had nothing to do with works, only through Jesus Christ alone. And, and there was this, this conflict because everyone was learning now what God desired for the church, what God desired for them individually. So I want us to see a couple things, things that will help us be unseparated, kind of resolve the conflict between people. We don't have Jews and Gentiles conflicting, at least in our church, but what we sometimes have is still people who have grown up a certain way or have developed a certain way in life and now they feel like this is the way it's supposed to be. And I'm not saying that it's not in your life. But we have to understand the Bible's teaching that there is differences amongst Christians. And that doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong always. Sometimes, but not always. So how can we take our differences and still work together to do what God desires for us to do? Number one, we have to understand what we have in common. Sometimes we focus so much on the differences that we fail to see what we have in common. Can I ask you to turn to a couple passages? Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. And I try not to normally have you turn this much in a service, but I want us to see these verses this morning. We won't turn a ton, but I still want us to see a couple of these verses this morning. Acts chapter 2, of course, this is... Um, uh, the Pentecost, and we see through what Christ did in this great, great uh, revival. It was not a realness or a reawakening, but more of a uh, great movement of God. Thousands of people were saved, added to the church. It says daily people were being added to the church. All of this is wonderful. It's amazing what God was doing. But look with me in Acts 2, verse 42. And it says, and they, these are the people who are now in the church, added to the church, daily being added to the church. Uh, it says there in the previous verse that the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So this is a massive boom, right? Can you imagine walking into a church one Sunday with 40 people and then coming in the next Sunday and there being 3,040 people? Um, whew, that'd be great. Uh, I don't know where we put them, but hey, we figure it out. Uh, all right, so, so here this church is growing massively. Verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. What we have in common is the doctrine. All right, so they're continuing daily. What are they continuing daily in? The apostles' doctrine. What's the apostles' doctrine? It's God's doctrine. 
God gave the apostles the doctrine. All right, so it's, it's God's doctrine. What are the apostles preaching? They're preaching that Jesus Christ came to earth and lived. He was flesh. He was still God, but he was flesh. And he came to earth and he lived and he died. And he died on the cross. And, and people knew that he died on the cross. The question was, who was he? And what did dying on the cross do? So they were teaching and they were preaching that Jesus died on the cross to pay a price. To, to, to pay in full the price of my sins. That's what the apostles taught. taught. They taught that there's this guy that's going to be born in the 80s, 1980s. You guys don't understand what that is yet. And he's going to be born. And when he's born, he's going to be a sinner. And he's going to be a filthy, rotten, filthy sinner. And at the age of four, uh, through, through God's mercy and grace, he's going to understand that he's a sinner. He's not going to understand everything. He's not going to know everything. But he's going to understand that he's a sinner and that he deserves to go to hell. And Jesus died for that little boy. And he died so that little boy uh, could understand, I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. But Jesus was nailed to a cross for my sins. And listen, at four, I didn't get exactly everything about that. Um, and I still had many sins to come, but Jesus died for those two. And he said that when, when that little boy calls and says, in his own way, Jesus, save me. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Now, obviously, they didn't talk about me. But they were sharing with everyone, this, this Jesus that you saw, die on the cross, that some of you stood and chanted for his death, that Jesus died for you. And he took the, the, the weight of your sin, but more importantly, the price of your sin on himself. And he paid that price. But listen, this Jesus that died on the cross, he didn't stay dead. Because if he stayed dead, it would have been a, a, a wonderful story, but it really wouldn't have changed anything. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And there were many people that saw him after he rose from the dead, but there were people doubting this and questioning this. And this is the doctrine. where We learn about it, uh, uh, the gospel, and the gospel is very simply, Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross for your sins, and he rose again from the dead victoriously. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And anyone, the Bible says, that calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. That's the doctrine that we have in common. The same doctrine the apostles preached in Acts is the same doctrine that we preach today, that we stand on today, and that's what we have in common. So no matter our differences, whether it's standards, uh, whether it's politics, whether it's anything, it doesn't matter. Whatever our differences are, and we have a lot of differences in this church, we have a common ground in the doctrine that we preach. And that's what can keep us unseparated. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. See this verse 2, it goes right along with this in Acts 2. Romans chapter 16. Verse number 17. Romans 16 and verse number 17. The Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. What does he say? He says, those that have the same doctrine, stick with. Those that preach the gospel of Christ, stick with. But mark those that cause divisions. He mentions, it's interesting, that the, the way that God puts this in here. He says, mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. There were people all throughout history, all throughout the history of the church, there are people who have caused divisions through their preaching what they claimed to be doctrine, which was wrong. And that, that's a wide, broad spectrum. <laughs> All right, because I mean, we, think, we think wrong doctrine, we go to false teachers and things like that immediately, and, and wisely so, but it's bigger than that. It's people who are causing divisions, people who are, who are preaching contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, you need to mark them. Know who they are. It doesn't mean literally go up with a Sharpie and put an X on their forehead or something like that. Okay, but you need to know who they are, and you need to stay away from it. It says avoid them. Stay away from them. They're going to cause problems. And listen, again, I've been in, in, in a few churches, and, and to be able to see this firsthand, uh, it's amazing the harm and the hurt that it does. And what happens is, is people stay close to those people, 
and it ends up bringing them down and ends up causing all kinds of problems, all kinds of situations, all kinds of hurt, and most importantly, damage to the cause of Christ. Ask your lost neighbor or coworker, hey, when you think of the word church, what do you think of? And I'm curious to know how many of them come up with a positive response. And listen, this doesn't mean that every church is bad and that every church they went to and the experiences they have, it was the church's fault for their opinion on it, okay? Uh, again, I've met a lot of people in my life, and especially since my time as a pastor, people like to tell me things. And, uh, and, and a lot of times the response that I had to them is, hey, did you ever think that maybe um, you, know, you were part of the problem? I know that sounds mean, but you know, I, I, I've got people in my life that their, their memories of church are very negative. And the reality is, is they came in and they sat down and they didn't talk to anybody. And they were mad because nobody talked to them. Well, have you ever thought that if you sit in the corner with your arms crossed, looking miserable, that maybe people don't want to talk to that? Now, does it mean that we shouldn't talk to that person? No. But you can't blame a lifetime of childhood growing up in church as those people were mean to me because they didn't talk to me very much when you didn't talk to anybody either. And that's the problem within churches is everybody looks at everybody else and goes, they're the problem. And the reality is, is, is more than likely both of you are the problem, right? You got a problem with me. I, I, there's probably something I did that you have a good reason to have a problem with me. But there's probably something that you did as well. Like, we are a church full of human beings who mess up on a regular basis, who have personalities that will make somebody upset or sad or whatever. We've got to learn not what our differences are, but what we have in common. And that's what makes us unseparated. Not only doctrine, but distinctives. We're, we're a Baptist church, and there's a reason why we're a Baptist church. Uh, it's because we stand on doctrine and certain distinctives that I think tie into doctrines as well. And I don't want to give you a whole long lesson on, on Baptist distinctives this morning, but can I just go give you a couple things real quick that we should have in common, being that we are Baptists uh, this morning, and specifically we're independent Baptists, but nonetheless, here we go. Uh, number one, our Bible is our sole authority. Uh, we named the church Bible Pathway Baptist Church on purpose. We wanted the Bible to guide us in everything that we did. I didn't want my sending pastor. I didn't want the pastor that I grew up under. I didn't want uh, the people that would come into the church uh, to determine how our church was going to go. We wanted to follow the Bible's pathway for it 100% of the way. And we still strive to do that today. The Bible is our authority. We answer to God. The Bible is God's word. So we do what God tells us to do. And I'm sure there are things that we do here that people have gone, well, I'm not sure about that. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't say thou shalt not or thou shalt do this and scripture, and so there's question marks about it or whatever it may be. And so you say, well, that's just a preference. I understand that, and I can agree with you in many ways on that as well. But everything that we do at the church is based on the Bible first and then prayer along with it. If the Bible doesn't clearly lay it out for us, then we just simply ask God, God, what do you want us to do in this situation? And whatever God leads us to do, we'll do. And if God ever leads us a different way, we'll go a different way. But until he does, we're going to keep doing what God tells us to do. And I'll tell you, as a young pastor, I started pastoring when I was 26 in an established church. And um, it took me a long time to learn this and have confidence that God could handle it. I know that sounds sad, but it's true. Where, you know, people would say, well, you know, Pastor Vince, you know, we've done it this way for 60 years. And I would say, oh, okay, all right, all right, we'll do it that way. And I'd cave into it. And there were other times where people would come to me and say, hey, I think we should change this. And my first thought was, well, and a lot of people would be mad if we changed it. I don't want to have to deal with that. And so we wouldn't do it. The longer I was there, uh, and, then, and then in starting this church, God just continued to build in me the importance of just doing what he says to do. And if people get mad about it, so be it. And some people don't like that response. <laughs> but I have learned, honestly, if I can go with the right attitude and the right spirit and know full-heartedly that's what God desires for us, then if someone doesn't like it, you know, I, I, listen, I don't, I don't ever want to lose people. I don't ever want to run people off. At the end of the day, we're going to do what God desires for us to do. Doesn't mean that other churches can't do it differently and be right with God. But for us, we're going to do what God desires for us to do. And, and it's because of one of the most important things that we stand on as a Baptist, and that is the Bible being our sole authority. 
Another Baptist distinctive is the local church is independent. It's independent of hierarchy. It's independent of outside government. We're autonomous is the word that's used. Um, we answer to God and God alone. No one else tells us what to do. And that's the way I believe God desires for the church to be. Uh, Christians have a direct access to God. There's no need for a priest. I can go to God and talk to Him. I can go to God and pray. I can listen to God and return to me. I don't need someone else to do it for me. As a matter of fact, I'm commanded to go to God on my own. Uh, individual soul liberty. The, the, an individual must get saved. You don't get uh, handed down salvation from your grandfather or your grandmother or your mom or your dad. Each soul is responsible for the sin in their lives. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Uh, you are responsible uh, uh, for, for, you have the choice of receiving or rejecting the gift that God offers. Separation from church and state. The state should have no power over the church. Uh, we have two ordinances that are, belong in the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are given by God to the church to do within the church together as, as a church. Uh, to, to celebrate baptism, which again is an image, it's a picture of what Christ did for us. It's our first step of obedience after we are saved. Um, and, then, and then the Lord's Supper is a time to reflect on what God did, reflecting on His body that was broken and His blood that was shed for us. That is, that is something that we stand on as a distinctive. Personal holiness, that be believers should seek to live a life reflective of Christ's holiness. Are we perfect? No. Will we be perfect? No. Is that a great excuse to sin? No. We should desire to live holy as God is holy. And to, to live in that, that mindset, that understanding that I should be striving to do what God desires for me to do. We should have that in common. That should be something that keeps us unseparated. Uh, thirdly, we had doctrine distinctives. Thirdly is the Great Commission. That should be something we're unified on. The Bible tells us in, in Mark 16, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28 says it in different words. Uh, but to go into all the world to teach uh, uh, not only salvation, but then after salvation to teach how to live what God desires for your life. And the Bible says that God will go with us as we do it. And God has all the power to accomplish it. And so together, we should, we should come together to accomplish that great commission. And that's something that we have in common. We are given the same commission. I am given the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You are given the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We as Christians, not just in this church, but in all the world, are commanded and commissioned to go and preach the gospel to every creature. We could get into missions and things like that too. We're not going to this morning for sake of time. Missions is a part of that. And that's why we support missionaries. All right, so, so what do we have in common? If we're going to be unseparated, we have to look at what we have in common. Number two, I want us to look at the advantage that we have. I like advantages. Um, in coaching basketball, uh, I tell my guys all the time, if we have the advantage, let's abuse it. All right, if we got a guy, we have a guy who's 6'6", and he plays on my, both my JV team and my varsity team. And most of the JV teams we face don't have a guy that's 6'6". So I say, you go stand under there, put your hand up in the air, you throw him the ball, and you put the ball in the basket. It's a pretty simple tactic that for some reason my team struggles with. But uh, we got the advantage, let's use it. All right, now as Christians, we have an advantage. We have an advantage. What is that advantage? And that advantage, by the way, keeps us from being unseparated, keeps us unified. Uh, what is our advantage? First of all, we're not to help people by tradition and by preferences or by opinions. We're supposed to help people through God. All right, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is a, is a chapter focused a lot on the home. Uh, and, and we've looked at it in, in many ways on the home as well. But in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, it's, it's talking to the husbands here, but it says, for the husband is to be the head of the wife. I say it's talking to husbands, it's actually talking to the whole home to help understand the role of the husband. But the husband is to be the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, 
and he is the Savior of the body. We're told that Christ is the, the, the cornerstone. He is, he is the, the founding block, the foundation. And Christ is our advantage. Having Christ as the head of the church is the advantage that we have. Uh, again, I'm so thankful for the pastors that, that I've had in, in my life. Um, pastor Kelly was my first pastor, Jim Kelly in, in Tennessee. And uh, I was in his church from the time I was born till I was in, I think, third grade, second or third grade. And uh, loved Pastor Kelly. He was the pastor that uh, baptized me. I was just a young kid, but I just absolutely loved Pastor Kelly. Uh, then we went to a, a different church. Pastor Kelly left. The new pastor came in. We ended up going to a different church, Calvary Baptist Church in Smyrna, Tennessee, and Pastor Larry Lee. And uh, Pastor Lee was very impactful, especially as a teenager in my life. Um, I had youth pastors as well, but uh, Pastor, Pastor Lee just, he invested in me and he was very good to me, gave me some opportunities uh, as a young person to uh, teach and to sing and to do some different things and, and uh, he was just uh, very, very helpful and impactful in my life. Uh, I went to college and, and had Pastor Swanson and to this day, Pastor Swanson, I, he's a lifesaver. Um, I, I was running from God when I went to college and he kept me kind of where I needed to be until God got a hold of my heart. And uh, I'm hoping Pastor Swanson will be here next year when we celebrate, uh, not next year as in next year, the year after that, uh, as we celebrate our 10th anniversary as a church. I'm hoping Pastor Swanson can be here for that. Um, Pastor Swanson, I, I love him to death, him and his wife both, just dear people in my life, great examples of faithfulness uh, through adversity, and, uh, and again, just at a time in my life where I needed a good pastor, uh, he was just that for me as well. And uh, another pastor for, uh, for a brief year, uh, we didn't have uh, as close a relationship as I've had with my other pastors, but I'm thankful for him still. And then uh, Pastor Hill after that, uh, very impactful, especially the process of starting the church and, and things like that as well. I'm very thankful for, for those men. But the, those men, their influence in my life it was not about personality. It wasn't about opinions. It wasn't about preferences. It was when they pointed me to God. And listen, they had, they had personality and they had preferences and they had opinions. Um, but the impact they had in my life was not that. It was when they pointed me to God. It's when they used God as, as the basis for what they were trying to do in my life. Guys that try to shape and form you into their image, um, it's going to turn out in a lot of disappointment. But, but people who will try to shape you into God's image, that's where the success comes. And the areas in which um, men in my life tried to shape me in their image. Um, they failed in those areas. And, and it showed me, yeah, that's not it. It's not to say that everything they did was wrong. You can't write off everything that someone said if they were wrong in one area. Sometimes you can, depending on what they're wrong in. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, you've got to understand that there's weakness in, in people. And that's why it's dangerous. Paul, remember, he said, be like me, I'm paraphrasing, as I am like Christ. He wasn't being prideful. I don't believe in that situation. As a matter of fact, it's given to us by inspiration of God. And so I don't think he's being prideful in that situation. I think that he was honestly, truly following God. And he was saying, I'm the example that God's given you. And I believe that a preacher, a pastor especially, should be an example uh, for what God desires. I, I have talked with many pastors who have said, hey, listen, I, I do these standards in my life. They're not necessarily standards that I uh, hold strongly, but if I go lower in my standard, then the people who are looking to me as an example will go even lower in their standards. So I just set a high standard. Um, we try to do that in some areas. In other areas, we say, hey, you know, we just don't believe in that standard, so uh, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it, and we're happy to have the conversation with people about it if they want to have it. But that being all said, what I'm, my point is our advantage is not in a great person. Our advantage is in Jesus Christ. And although I'm thankful for the great people in my life, my advantage is not, well, I sat underneath Pastor Jim Kelly. I'm guessing none of you know Pastor Jim Kelly. Uh, I sat underneath Larry Lee. I guarantee none of you know Larry Lee. I sat underneath Kelvin Swanson. My guess is nobody knows Kelvin Swanson. Uh, possibly, because you're from that area. Uh, but uh, So almost none of you know Kelvin Swanson. Uh, I, I, you know, John Hill, unless you met him here, you don't know him. It's not about being underneath great people. I, I tell you what, one of the most damaging things that we've had in Baptist churches is pastors thinking they're great people. 
and them telling other people, I'm a great person. We've got to be careful. As I've been around pastors who would bring men in and talk about this great man. And I understand it. I understand I, I can appreciate respecting preachers and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes we talk so much about respecting preachers that it makes everybody else feel like, well, I'm just this little person. I really am insignificant to this whole cog of life. And that's not the way God intended it to be. And so we bring in these great people. What happens when these great people fall? Well, then we're going, oh, well, if they're not a great people, and I was told they are, I've met many Christians who today are not in church because they, not literally, but worshiped great people, and those great people failed them, and now they're going, well, what's the point? You see, it's not about great people. It's about a great God. And having God as our advantage, we have Him as our head, Him as our authority, Him as our cornerstone, Him as our foundation to build everything else on. Listen, differences can bring conflict. Uh, Romans chapter 14 is an is a amazing example of this. And I spent uh, 20-some years, 30-some years maybe, I forget how many years, never hearing a sermon on Romans 14. That's not to say that my pastors didn't preach on it. If they did, I just wasn't paying attention. Uh, which is very possible, especially in my teenage years. Um, but I don't ever remember hearing a sermon on it. And one day I was reading through the book of Romans, and I, I got to that passage as a pastor, and I was reading through it, and I thought, my goodness, this is something special. And I preached a sermon on it. And I preached a couple different sermons on it now over the years. It's an amazing example that there are differences, and differences can bring conflict, but because Christ is the head of the church, we're able to get past those differences and follow Him. It's not about our differences, right? It's how are we, how are we in common? What do we have in common? And what advantage do we have? Well, we have Christ as our head. That's what we have in common. So these differences, they don't need to cause this conflict. And there are really two types of people in the church, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to them in two terms that you've probably heard before, um, maybe not in this way, but old school and new school. All right? Old school and new school people. This is the only two people you have in the church. There are no in-betweens, at least from what I've seen in my, uh, uh, I used to say, short life, longer than it used to be. But um, old school people are steadfast. They're like watchdogs. They see danger. Um, they're quick to caution people about the negative effects of their actions or the negative effects of change. Uh, they're not big on change. And really anything that's different than what they're used to. And I say this in a good way. I know that comes across very negative, but I'm saying this in a good way. They're they're very careful. Uh, They're cautious. They're going to warn people, hey, what you're doing is dangerous. But oftentimes it comes from a matter of that's not the way that I've seen it done. Or that's not the way that I do it. And that's why it's dangerous. Again, the motives are great, the motives are good, but that's kind of where they are. The new school people are more adapters. They're looking for innovative ways, efficient methods, things that, okay, kind of match up with the era. Um, I talk a lot about a lot of independent Baptist uh, guidelines were set in the 70s. And to be fair, a lot has changed. Um, Actually, probably the 60s more so, but a lot has changed since then. Um, you know, there were some, some people who said you couldn't wear wire rim glasses. It's just not in the Bible. You're not going to find that anywhere. Uh, you know, it's, I think that, I hope that's something we could agree on. Um, you know, there's hairstyles or dress styles, and dress standards are still a sticky situation, but um, nonetheless, there are things that have changed. So the new, the new school people are, are more active to look at today's, um, today's scene and try to find innovative ways to effectively reach people for Christ and effectively minister to people for Christ. Again, this is all, in my mind, it's all positive. Um, they're just looking for the current trends, and I know trend is a bad word, I'm not supposed to say it in church, but the current trends, and, and use them positively for the cause of Christ. So new school are good because they keep the church from being in a rut. Old school is good because they keep the church from compromise. Uh, so you have these people who are, are being careful and watching and warning, and you've got these people who are trying to uh, move forward and do things for God that way. The problem is, is new school and old school don't get along, right? Because they're, they're opposites. 
And, and they just they don't really work together well oftentimes in a church. They're, they're afraid, uh, they're afraid of, of the other side. There are a number of areas that come up as divisive in churches. Technology use um, uh, is oftentimes a sticking point for many people. Having TVs on the platform, there would be people who say, oh, that's, that's wicked. Um, you know, people, if we put up uh, the words for songs on the screen, uh, you know, oh, you can't do that. Um, because words on a screen are wicked words in a book, godly. Um, you know, and, and there are good reasons, by the way, to have a songbook, I believe. If, if you're a music person, I'm not. If you're a music person, there's the notes in there, so you can follow the notes and all that kind of stuff, and it's good. I have a friend, a pastor friend. Actually, some of you met him, John Jones. He came down with his youth group from Colorado several years ago. Uh, John is, is adamant that you have a songbook because words on a screen don't tell you how the song goes. It just tells you the words for the song. But he's a music person. You know, he's one of those weird people. So... Um, uh, technology use, though, is something that, that, that causes some conflict in churches sometimes. Uh, there are, of course, uh, the bigger issues, music and things like that, dress. Style, though, let's just put it this way, style causes conflict sometimes. Preaching style, music style, dress style, those kinds of things can cause conflict in a church, especially between old school and new school mindsets. Um, and understandably so, by the way, I, um, you know, we're, we're very careful with our music here. Um, and again, I grew up very conservative uh, uh, and, 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 and heard a lot of things both in my church and the ministry we grew up in and, uh, and all those kinds of things. We're very careful with music because I understand music is very, very divisive. Um, that doesn't mean that everything that we do in the church, uh, that I feel like that's my personal standard always. But uh, we got to be really wise about these things. Dress is the same way. You know, we're careful. Uh, and there are people who think my, my wife is a, is a sinless heathen because, because of, of dress sometimes. And me and my wife are very confident that what she, how she dresses is, is, is uh, according to God, perfectly fine. And there are other people that disagree with us, and that's per- I, I don't mind, because we do what we think God wants us to do. Uh, we do what we know God wants us to do. But there are times where we're around people, especially people that I grew up with, that my wife will dress according to their standard, because we know that they would be hurt if she didn't. And you know, we're just very careful about those things. And what it is is understanding that we have an advantage. That God is our authority. And we do what God tells us to do. So we do it prayerfully. If we don't do it prayerfully and we just say, well, God's okay with it, but we haven't asked God, that's a problem. Because then you don't know if God's okay with it. We've gone to God and we've asked Him And we do what God desires for us to do. That's our advantage. And so it could cause conflict, so we're careful with it. We're aware of it, and we're careful with it. Terminology causes conflict. Um, Some people call this an auditorium. I call this an auditorium. Some people call it a worship center. I tell you what, I hate that term. Is it wrong? No. I don't like it. It's an auditorium. Some people call it a sanctuary. To me, it's an auditorium. Now, I wouldn't care. It's not going to cause conflict with me, but it does cause conflict with some people. Um, Song leader and worship leader. I hate the term worship leader. It's a song leader. He leads songs. So he's a song leader. Is it a big deal? No, it really isn't. Sunday school, small group, same thing in many cases, but it'll cause some conflict for some people. How dare we call this a small group? Well, how many people you got? Four. Okay, so be it. Sunday school, who cares? God wants you to have it, you have it. Call it whatever God wants you to call it. Call it, come up with some spiffy name for it. Who cares? It shouldn't matter because we have an advantage that God is our authority. Back to the advantage, though. Uh, Christ, okay? Uh, Christ. People need to know Christ, not our opinions. Are you sharing Christ or are you sharing your opinions? Is kind of what you have to go back to and ask. John 16, 12 says, I yet have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Christ speaking says, there is a, a, just a bucket load of things to tell you, but you can't handle them all right now. So we're going to go through this a little slower. All right. He understands, and, and he's our example. What's the important thing that we need to be pushing? We need to be pushing Christ. We, we need to be pushing Christ. Uh, independent, Bible-believing, God-loving, devil-hating, Baptist. All right? I don't say that kind of stuff to people. I, I just don't think it's necessary. You can say that, or you can say, God loves you. Christ died for you. 
He sent a son to die for your sins. Your sin has a harsh punishment, but, but God can forgive and save you. We have freedom to be different from each other, but we have the command to be the same in Christ. And that's an important truth that we have to learn in order for us to be unseparated. Number three, and lastly today, I'll try to get through this quickly, is what distracts us. We know what we have in common. We know the advantage that we have, but, but what takes us away from those things? Well, the first thing is that we just lose sight of the enemy. We forget who we're fighting. We'll fight each other instead of Satan. Satan is our enemy, not, not your fellow Christian. We go from fighting Satan to fighting each other. Do you tell Christians they're wrong more than you tell the lost there's a Savior? When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody versus the last time that you went to a Christian and said, hey, what you're doing is wrong? Now listen, understand, and I've said this before, but understand there is a time and a place for it, right? Uh, it's important that if we have a fellow Christian that's doing wrong, that we talk to them about them, that we love them enough to talk to them about that and try to help them. But don't lose sight of the lost that need a Savior. You say, well, I love this person, so I'm trying to help them. The Bible tells us that love thinketh no evil. Romans 14, 3 says, let, him, uh, let not him that eateth, this is a, the conflict was eating meat offered to idols. So that's the context of this passage. Romans 14, 3 says, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Despise him that's different than him. And let not him that eateth uh, not judge him that eateth. And the Bible says in Romans 4, 3, 14, 3, for this purpose, don't, don't, don't despise them that are doing differently than you, and don't judge them that are doing different than you, because God hath received him. If God received him, so should you. And they're having this conflict over, well, uh, basically uh, vegetarians in many cases, but they, they were saying it's wrong for us to eat meat offered to idols. And then you had the other group of people that said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing and, and I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but I got a big old slab of meat here, I'm going to eat it. Uh, and there was conflict between the two groups. Both of them find motives. But the problem came in where they lost, lost sight of who the enemy was. And God says, listen, I've received the one who won't eat the meat, won't touch the meat, and I've received the one who will eat the meat. So quit judging each other. Do what God desires for you to do. And a lot of times, we will try to have the right motives and say, well, I love this person, so I'm going to go and I'm going to address this person. When the reality is we aren't, we aren't taking full look at the fact that they have some liberty that God has offered them. And we need to allow them that liberty. And as the Bible tells us when he's talking about judging others in, in, in the Gospels, you know, hey, you got something in your own eye. You need to make sure that's, that's taken care of. We often push away those who are different than us trying to help them. when we should be encouraging them in the areas in which we are alike. How many times do you talk to a fellow believer positively versus negatively? How many times do you go to them and just encourage them in something that they're doing? Um, as a pastor, I've had to grow in this, and I'm still growing in this. But um, when people don't come to church for a long time, and then they come to church, and they're like, throw me a parade because I'm here. And it's hard for me because my, my personality, I blame my mom for this, but my personality is, uh, hey, you did your job. <laughs> That's not very loving from a pastor, right? Uh, you know, I, I, and again, and I do this as a coach too, where a kid's like, hey, coach, did you see that pass I made? And I'm like, hey, good job for not throwing to the other team for the first time the whole game. No, it's, hey, hey, seriously, good job, good job. Give them a pat on the back and keep those, those other thoughts just in, in my head. The same is true with us Christians. Oftentimes, we're just so quick to, to, to jump on somebody else for what they're doing wrong, and we're not there to give them a, a, an, an applause, a pat on the back, a warm handshake, and, hey, good job. And we've got to do more of that. A pastor once said, uh, we should not be more troubled by the quirks of the right crowd than by the compromises of the wrong crowd. 
And that's a, that's a good statement, I think, at least. We should not be more troubled by the quirks of the right crowd than by the compromise of the wrong crowd. Find out what you have in common, come together, uh, and be unseparated. Know the advantage that you have. Don't be distracted. Uh, turn with me to Romans 14. This is the last thing we'll look at. Romans 14. Thank you for bearing with me today. Romans 14. And like I said, I've preached through this chapter before. You can go back and find it uh, on the, the audio version somewhere back in the day. I don't remember what the dates were or anything, but um, great chapter. Read through it. It's really good stuff. But I want to look at three verses, four verses in this passage. Romans 14, verse number 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. It's not my job to make him stand. It's my, I'm there to help. But he says, don't judge another man's, another man's servant. Whose servant are we? We're God's servant. So be there to help and encourage, but understand that God has the power to, to, to raise him up. God has the power to hold him up, the power to make him stand. Look in verse number 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? And why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now it's important wording there, and God uses it on purpose. Himself. Every person will stand before God. Everyone will give an account himself. You're not going to give an account for the person next to you. You're going to give an account for yourself. And so it's not necessarily a mind-your-own-business passage, but it's let God do his work in people. Allow God to do the work versus you trying to do the work for him. God may use you to impact someone's life. As a matter of fact, God will use you to impact someone's life. But allow God to do the work. Let him be the master builder. Let him be uh, the potter to the clay. And you just seek God's help for how he wants you to be used in the people's lives around you. Be unseparated. Come together. Uh, understand what we have in common. Know the advantage that we have. And then lastly, uh, be careful for what distracts us. Stay on point. Stay on focus. And with God's help... We can do it. With God's help, we can be what God wants us to be. Lord, we thank you for the time this morning. We thank you for your word and the truths that are in it. And God, I, I'm so thankful for the uh, amazing amount of differences in our church. And I'm thankful that you've allowed us to grow and uh, work together and love one another. And Lord, I pray that you just help us to continue to do just that. I pray that you'd help us as individuals to be what you want us to be. I pray that you'd help us as a church to be what you'd want us to be. And God, help us to understand that we do have a wonderful thing in common in your word. And Lord, that we have an amazing advantage of having you as our authority, you as our foundation. And Lord, help us to be aware of the distractions that are out there to, to uh, take us off, off path. And Lord, that will cause hurt versus help. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to be unseparated today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand with me, please? The piano is going to play.